tonight, chapter 2, we'll start at verse 26, and we'll move on into chapter 3 and chapter 4 tonight of the book of Deuteronomy. So, again, there's some extra Bibles we have on the front platform. If you need one, just come on up and grab one and uh, follow along with us. So, Deuteronomy, chapter 2, verse 26. While you're turning there, just want to remind you to be praying for a group that is going to be heading up to Camp Idrahaji over near Peonia. Uh, tomorrow, they're going to be leaving early, and they're going to be getting some wood uh, cut and split uh, for the camp up there for winter. So they'll be coming back Saturday, probably late, so they can be here in time for church on Sunday morning, uh, 8.30 and 10.30. But do keep them in prayer and um, and for safety, and and it's a blessing for the camp. They, they really appreciate it, uh, especially when it comes January, February. Right, Melissa? She used to cook out there. So for the students up at 6 o'clock and having to get that fire going in the cafeteria, yeah. <laughs> yes, so anyway, it is a tremendous blessing for them. So keep them in prayer. Young adults, Sunday night, Pastor Jim's uh, uh, house uh, as he hosts the young adults. So young adults, make sure that you got all the information on when it starts and where Jim lives and all of that. So a lot of other things coming up. We have the kids... Fall Festival coming up, um, uh, not this Sunday, but a week from Sunday. And so if you'd like to help out with that, there's a sign-up at the information table, but uh, it's an opportunity for the kids to bring their friends, bring them to church second service, and then after second service, we're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers and games for them, and so it's going to be a great time. So make sure that you do look at your bulletin. There's a lot of things that are there, a lot of things coming up here at Calvary Chapel, we don't want you to miss anything. So I don't have one with me, so you got to make sure that you look at your bulletin, and we'll be updating everything on the webpage daily, and then also uh, the latest information this Sunday in our bulletin. Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. We, we do lift up those guys, uh, everyone who's going to be leaving, not just the guys, but um, we know the gals are going to be going too. And, Lord, the whole group, we lift up that you would keep them safe as they travel tomorrow uh, over to the camp, that you would keep them safe as they are using chainsaws and as they are splitting wood and, and working hard. I pray that you strengthen their bodies. And, Lord, that they would get um, done what uh, they desire and what you put on their hearts. And, uh, Lord, that it, it would be something that uh, they know that it's a tremendous blessing to the body of Christ out there. And so bring them back safely to us. We do pray that um, all the things that, that, Lord, that we have going on here at Calvary Chapel wouldn't just be busyness and activities, but everything that we do would be a way to reach out to a community, um, to the lost, to encourage people in their walk with the Lord, to bless the body of Christ, to um, edify, um, to use our gifts that you put on our hearts. Um, I do pray for uh, the men's study that has started on Tuesday nights, and I pray for the ladies' study that's going to start next week in the mornings, and that you bless um, those groups as they just continue in your word and growing in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, everything that we do here, I pray that it honors you, and, and as we study your word tonight, that once again our hearts would be open to what you want to say to us as we make application. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, where we're at in, in Deuteronomy, you recall that at this time in their history, they've 
wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They are on the east side of the Jordan River. And physically, they're ready to go into the promised land. Now, Moses has been told, and we're going to see that it's reiterated once again, that Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. It's going to be Joshua that's going to lead the people across the Jordan and into the land of Canaan and to possess the land. So physically, they're ready to go. And of course, um, it was uh, the Lord that brought them to Mount Sinai there in the book of Exodus, made a covenant with them. Uh, gave them the law, gave them the instructions of the tabernacle so they would construct the tabernacle, all the furnishings and uh, everything involved in the tabernacle ministry took about a year. And then Leviticus, that book, talks about how the priests were given their responsibilities in uh, the sacrifices in the tabernacle ministry. And then the book of Numbers tells us there are 38 years in the wilderness. And, of course, we saw very clearly in the book of Numbers what kept them in the wilderness for 40 years. And as we saw that when they were at Mount Sinai to go up to Kadesh Barnea, where that was at the border of the promised land, where the Lord told them to go take the promised land. You see, after they constructed the tabernacle, they were in the second year of their exodus. The Lord said, you've been around this mountain long enough. You have my covenant, you have the tabernacle, you have the priests and the Levites all in order. You need to move now. And he took them to the border of the promised land. And as we saw here in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting their history of what they went through in their 40 years of wandering. And in that second year of our exodus, it was your fathers that would not go into the promised land because They saw the giants, and they heard about the giants. The spies came back with that report again. Twelve spies went into the land, as we saw in Numbers chapter 13. And they came back. They said, it is a good land. There's huge grapes. It's flowing with milk and honey. But there's a problem, and that is there's giants and and cities that are fortified walls that go up to heaven. And so ten of those spies were saying, we can't go into the land Um, because of the giants and were but grasshoppers in their sight. So it discouraged the whole congregation. And it was the Lord that said, because of your continued unbelief and because of your hardness of heart, this generation that came out of Egypt are going to die out in the wilderness. And so it's going to be your children that are going to possess the land. So here is a new generation poised to go in. So Moses here in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is recounting their history what God has done for them. And then in chapter 4, he's going to begin to give them the law of God. Now, there are commentators that say that Moses here kind of gives a series of sermons, five sermons, as this is his last address before he's going to go on Mount Nebo and die. So this address that he gives to them in five sermons, if you would, the first in the first um, few chapters there of Deuteronomy, and then we're going to see that in chapter 5 that he's going to begin a second sermon, if you would, that is giving them the law of God, as we're going to see that it's going to be uh, reviewed here, uh, the Ten Commandments and the law of God. And so that begins the second sermon, if you would. But here he's saying to them, you know your history of your fathers, how God brought you out of Egypt. And he's going to make some very important points here to them. So now that you know how faithful God has been to you, and how he's shown his power and brought you out and carried you in his arms through the wilderness, then you are to obey him. And so we're going to see this logical flow. But first of all, he's recounting the time in verse 26 through the end of chapter 2, the time that 
had just happened where they defeated Shai Hong, uh, the king of uh, Heshbon. And then chapter 3, in the first part of it, how they also defeated King Og. And then we're going to see that that land divided up on the east side of the Jordan River. All these things that we talked about in the book of Numbers. And so we're going to cover it very quickly and then get into chapter 4. But let's first read verse 26 of chapter 2. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Shihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir and the Moabites who dwell in Ar did for me until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. So you recall in Numbers chapter 21 again, it would be near the end of their 40 years that it was the children of Israel moving up from the wilderness. And they moved up. They were not to fight against the Edomites, who were their, you know, brethren. That is, that the Edomites are descendants of Esau. Esau and Jacob being brothers. And so the Lord said, you're not going to fight against the Edomites. You're not going to fight against the Moabites. You're going to go around. And as they would come around, it would be just a few months before this time here that Moses is, again, reminding them, you know what happened just a few months ago? that you defeated Shihon, king of the um, king of Bashan. And so that's being told to them once again. And so, but King Shihon, or Shihon, king of Heshbon, verse 30, he would not let us pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. So it was messengers that came to Shihon, said, listen, just as we did with the Edomites, just as we did with the Moabites, we're just going to pass through. We're not going to go to the left or to the right. We're not going to um, take your water. We're not going to uh, eat of your vineyards. We'll pay for food. We'll drink water. And it was Shihon instead of saying, you know what, that would be great. It'd be good for our economy. We'll get the fruit stands up and all of this. He decides he's going to fight against them. And so that's what was recorded there in Numbers chapter 21. And here in verse 30 where it says that the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, sometimes people read that and they think, well, was that fair for God to do that, to harden his heart? And, of course, we read that in the book of Exodus concerning Pharaoh. Here's the thing to remember, that his heart was hard towards Israel and his malice towards Israel, King Shihon. And it wasn't that... God came along and changed his heart from wanting to do good to the children of Israel to bad. He's confirming what he wanted to do. And that was, I don't want you passing through my land, and we're going to go to war against you. So the Lord hardened his heart. In verse 31, And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Shihon and his land over to you, begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. Then Shihon and all the people came out against to fight at Jahaz, and the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. And we took all his cities at that time. We utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left nothing, none remaining. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine, as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us, the Lord our God deliver all to us. 
Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon anywhere along the river Jabbok uh, to, or to the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. So there was Edomites and then there was the Ammonites that the Lord said you're not going to fight against. And again, uh, the Ammonites were ones that were descendants of Lot and we looked at that all last time. And so the border was the river Jabbok. Now, if you go to Jordan today, just on the east side of the Jordan River, you can stand on Mount Nebo, and you stand on Mount Nebo, and it's fascinating uh, to stand there and to look over into Israel. And you can see, of course, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, the Jordan Valley, the Judean Mountains that are over there. And then right to the north of you is a little stream that's called the River Jabbok. And that's, of course, where Jacob wrestled with uh, with the Lord there in Genesis. And so um, it's interesting to go to Israel and see all those biblical sites, but also over in Jordan, there are many biblical sites as well. And so whenever we get a chance uh, that it works out on our tours to go over there, it's fascinating to stand on Mount Nebo where um, in, in the mountains there of Ammon and uh, where the Moabites were and Ruth came from to see all those places uh, that... Uh, you can stand on and look at today. But here we see that um, the Lord would deliver King Shihon. He would be defeated. And then chapter 3, King Og defeated. Then we turned and went up to the road of Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. And so the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people in this land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Shihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So our Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. Sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og, in Bashan. Verse 5, all these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, bars, beside great many rural towns. We utterly destroyed them as we did to Shihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities, we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan and the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians called Hermon Siron. Uh, Syrian, and the Amorites call it Sener. And all the cities of the plain, all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Salka and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. And then verse 11, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstand was an iron bedstand. Uh, it is not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon, Nine cubits its length and four cubits its width according to the standard cubit. So again, recounting what we learned in Numbers chapter 21, they came, defeated King Shihon, defeated King Og. It's interesting that we have learned that there were giants not only in Canaan, but there are giants in this region as well. And King Og apparently was the last of those giants that were over in that area of Ammon and the Moabites on the east side of the Jordan River. And it says that his bed was, um, according to its length, uh, nine cubits. And again, a cubit, as you recall, we think it's about 18 inches long is the best guess that scholars and uh, have of what a cubit is. So if you use 18 inches, you got a bed that's 14 feet long. That's a big bed and six feet wide. 
So this is a huge guy, isn't it? And you can understand that when the Bible says that there were giants, they're the Anakins and these other descendants that were there on the east side. There's a couple important points here that why Moses is recounting this to this new generation. You see, they're going to go into the promised land and have to battle against Anakin and those giants, aren't they? And you see that in the book of Joshua. And it was when the spies had come back 38 years previous to this that they were so scared of those giants in the cities. Here they defeated those cities that had um, high walls and gates and bars and uh, were greatly fortified. And here was this giant. And I can't imagine, you know, this giant that you'd see these giants, how terrifying it would be, wouldn't it? I mean, you can kind of understand why they, they were very much afraid, these giants in these cities with walls up to the... But you see, they had forgotten how great and powerful God is. That he had brought them out of Egypt, the most powerful army and military force in the whole world at that time, that the Lord would break them and, and bring them to where they were defeated and let the children of Israel go and then drown the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. That God was big enough to keep his promise not only to bring them out of Egypt, but to bring them into the promised land and defeat those giants. And those giants had been defeated, as we saw last week on the east side, by the, um, by the Edomites and the other ites that were over there that we talked about and won't go into tonight. The children of Israel, there in 1 Samuel chapter 17, in David's time, when the armies of Israel are on one side of the valley and there were the Philistines on the other side and it was Goliath that came down and would challenge the armies of Israel and he would mock them and he would mock their God. And he did that for 40 days and it says that the armies of Israel were terrified. And I think that of all those who were terrified that Saul was the one that was most scared. Because I think that the armies of Israel were looking to their leader, Saul, who was the first king at that time. Hey, Saul, you go and fight this giant here. You're the one that's head and shoulders above everybody else. Why don't you go out there and fight him? But Saul wouldn't. And it was little David who was too young to even be in the armies that came up to bring food to his brothers. And, of course, he heard Goliath and, and mocking his God and mocking the armies of Israel. And David, you know, there are some that say that he was very much full of pride and arrogance. No, he had confidence in God. And he said, who is this giant that's this defying the armies of Israel? I'll go out and fight him. Because he knew that it was the Lord's battle. And that's one of the things that Moses here is saying to this new generation. You guys are going to cross here the Jordan River. You've seen Og, who was a giant, being defeated. The cities that were fortified defeated Understand that the Lord's going to do the same thing as you go in and conquer the land. And so he was getting them to walk by faith, not by sight. And it's an important lesson that we've talked about going through the Old Testament here, that the Lord desires for us to walk by faith and not by sight, because all of us face giants in our lives, don't we? And sometimes it's scary, and it's overwhelming. And there seems to be walls that are, you know, so fortified and obstacles and all of this. But we can know that our God is more powerful than any giant or obstacle or anything. 
working in our lives, and He's with us, and His promises are true. To walk by faith and to trust in the Lord and stay close to Him. So that's why He's going over all this. And so we see in verse 12, the land of, on the east side of the Jordan divided as we read that very quickly. And this land which we possess at this time from a roarer, which is by the river Arnon and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. And the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob, and all Bashan was uh, called the land of the giants. And Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Gershonites and the Mech. Hakathites, and called Bashan after his own name, Havoth Jr. to this day. Also I gave Gilead to Makar, verse 16, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon. The middle of the river was the border as far as the river Jabbok and the border of the people of Ammon. The plain also with the Jordan as the border of the Chenereth as far as the east side, the Sea of Arabah, that is the salt sea below the slopes of Pishkah, and then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over arm before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives, your little ones, your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities, which I have given you, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God has given them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you, In verse 21, And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms throughout which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. That's why he's recounting. You just defeated Shihon. You just defeated Og. And on the east side, it's going to be given to the two and a half tribes of Gad and Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Again, reiterating Numbers chapter 32 when they came to Moses and said, we like this high country here. We like all this grass. We got all this, this livestock that we got from defeating those two kings. Why don't we stay here? Let this be our, our inheritance. And at first, Moses was a little bit bothered by that. He said, what are you going to do? Discourage all the children of Israel? You're just going to sit here on the east side while... You know, the rest of us go over and fight. And what the, the uh, agreement was is that those men, fighting men of valor, from Gad and Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they would settle their families, their little ones, and then they would go over and help their brethren fight till they got their inheritance in Canaan. So, again, reiterating that story of Numbers chapter 32. But, again, that you don't need to fear them because the Lord has given you this land to possess. Whatever he has given you to possess, the Lord himself fights for you. And and that's good news for me because I know that the Lord has things for me to possess. That as I just step out, Lord, in what you've called me to do and walking in your ways and looking to you, that you're going to get me where you want me to go and you're going to give me my possession that I have. And what I mean is what you want to accomplish with my life. To be a blessing to others in the ministry that you've given to me. And I know that you'll fight for me when that time comes. And I know there will be difficulties and giants and there'll be setbacks and all these other things. But Lord, you are faithful to fight for me and he will be faithful to fight for you. As you go in and possess what it is that the Lord has for you. I don't know what that is. 
But the Lord will show you as you walk day by day in faith, allowing Him to be your safety and your strength and to direct you and guide you, your refuge, and allow Him to be the one that battles for you because it is a battle, isn't it? It's a battle out there. And I'm so thankful that we have the Lord on our side. And as the Scripture says, and it would be Joshua and Caleb, you remember when the spies came back, the other ten spies were saying, we can't go into the promised land. And it was Joshua and Caleb that said, yes, we can, because the Lord gave us that promise, Numbers chapter 13. Let's go in, let's gobble up those giants. Who cares? If the Lord is with us, what do we have to be afraid of? So important lessons again as we walk by faith. And in verse 23, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? And I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pishkah and lift your eyes towards the west and the north and the south and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. And so Moses again saying, I wanted to go into the promised land. And I pleaded with the Lord over and over again to take me into the promised land. He was angry at me. And, of course, again, we saw that in Numbers chapter 20 when he erred at Kadesh, when he struck the rock when the Lord told him to speak to the rock. Moses, you misrepresented me. Moses, you polluted that picture, the rock that represents Christ, as we know from 1 Corinthians. And Moses, that you took the glory as you said, must we fetch water for you? It was me that was providing water for them. So Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. But you can understand Moses' heart, can't you? Because I look at Scripture and I think the two most difficult ministries that, that are in the Scriptures, the Old Testament, certainly Moses. I cannot imagine leading two and a half to three million people on a 40-year journey through the wilderness. And, of course, they would be complaining and murmuring and wanting to stone them and all these other things, how difficult that was. And yet Moses was one that showed compassion to them. He was faithful to lead them. He was one um, that uh, would intercede when the Lord was saying, Moses, step aside, I'm going to consume this people. And he would plead on behalf of the children of Israel, intercede on their behalf. We know that Moses was one that for 40 years in this incredible ministry leading them to the promised land. And I can understand that he would want to go into the promised land. Don't you? And the Lord said, no. Stop asking. And I know that there have been times in my own life where, Lord, I'm working hard and I'm I'm, I'm doing this and I know you've been faithful and and Lord, I, I want to see more of this or this to happen or I want to go over in, in this direction or whatever. And the Lord says, no. And it has nothing to do with a lack of faith. Moses was a man of great faith. Sometimes the Lord says, no. And when he says no, we need to accept that, what the Lord is doing. And say, Lord, you're the one leading my life. You know what is best. 
And it's the prayer of faith and the man and woman of faith that says, I accept what it is that you're saying. So when we do pray, when we ask the Lord for something, he desires for us to ask. He says, Jesus, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. But sometimes he says yes. And sometimes he says no. And I have found in my life and in my ministry that no can be a very wonderful answer. Because the Lord is keeping me from something that would be trouble or he wants to do something better or sometimes he'll say wait or isn't time, but just rest in what the Lord is saying and what he desires to do. So Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. We'll see the book of Deuteronomy will end with him going up on top of Pishkah, which is the mountain range that includes Nebo. He supernaturally sees all of the promised land, north, south, east, and west. And then he's going to die, and then they will mourn for 30 days, and then after that, they will go into the promised land. So that's how this book is going to end. And here he's told, go and command Joshua, encourage him and strengthen him. We will see in the last of the book of Deuteronomy that it's Moses that will go to Joshua and say, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Moses didn't pout. He didn't shake his fist at God. He didn't get all angry and all of this. He accepted when the Lord said no. And Moses, your ministry has ended here. You are to give the people here the word of God and the law of God. And then I'm going to take you home to be with your people. And Moses accepted that. And Moses, you encouraged Joshua. Moses didn't get all weird and jealous and, you know, stomp around and say, I'm going to pout up here on the mountain. I'm not going to say anything to Joshua. But he would encourage Joshua. And if the Lord comes to us and says no about something, I want to use somebody else or you in a different direction, but I want you to continue to encourage the brethren, then that's what we are to do. Because I've seen too many Christians in ministry that they start getting weird and they start getting jealous because God's using them over here or that person in this way and I wanted to do that. No. That we're to encourage one another and you accept where the Lord has you. And one of the things that we're going to see as we begin the book of Philippians, and I love this verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in you, will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. That brings me great comfort because I know that the work that he has begun in me, he will bring it to completion. So I don't have to stress and worry and manipulate and fuss and all of this. That the work that he wants to do, because he works in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure, He's going to complete it. He's going to see me through. He's going to work with me, and, and he's going to do that work that he desires to do. So I don't have to stress and strain and try to go somewhere that the Lord doesn't want me to or pout or when he says no or I got something different. I can just accept, Lord, what you have for me is what is best for me, and I know, Lord, that as I faithfully do it, that you'll reward me for that for eternity. So Moses he, he encourages Joshua, and then chapter 4, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Now, O Israel, it's like the Lord is saying, Okay, now that I've kind of told you the history of what you're fathers have gone through and what you guys have been through in the last 40 years now i'm going to teach you 
the law. I'm going to teach you the Word of God. It's kind of like a father that is telling his children, this is what I need to do. I'm going to teach you what God has taught your fathers in us. And again, physically they were ready to go into the promised land. Spiritually they weren't. Deuteronomy in the Septuagint means the second law. Not that it's a whole new set of laws. Verse 2 says, You shall not add to the word which I command you or take from it. But this is the second reading of the law. So this new generation needed to officially have a reading of the law. And we're going to see that's what Moses is going to do in the book of Deuteronomy. When they do cross into the promised land, you see in the book of Joshua, before they do any battle, and their first battle is against who? Jericho that the males are circumcised. So the Lord is taking care of things spiritually for them to go and do battle. So listen up to the statutes and the judgments that I'm going to give to you. One of the things that I learned from the book of Deuteronomy is that it seems like that, um, that there is a whole lot about obedience and following after the Lord in the book of Deuteronomy. That's what we're going to see. He's going to say over and over again, Moses The Lord is saying to you, take heed to yourself, take heed to yourself, take heed to yourself, take heed to yourself, follow after me, obey my commandments, my statutes. We see that phraseology over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. Matter of fact, we're going to see that not only in Deuteronomy, we see that actually throughout all of Scripture, don't we? It just seems like that there's not enough exhortation that God gives to us to walk in his ways. It's kind of like being a father myself to my four children. There are some days where I think all I do is talk to them about being obedient, (laughs) doing what's good, doing what's right. But I constantly, as they're growing and getting older, I'm talking to them about making good choices, about right and wrong, about honoring the Lord with their lives. All these things, and you know how that is as a parent. And it seems like that we can constantly talk to them about those things because we want them to do well, don't we? We want them to be ones that that have a blessed life and do well in life and make good choices and do what is right. And so here we see that Moses is saying, listen, I'm going to give you the word. I'm going to give you the law, the statutes, the commandments. You're not to add a word to it, which I command you're not to take from it. And that's an important point. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, seemed to always be confronting the religious leaders. Why? Because they were into their traditions and and in their rituals and all of this to where they made the law of God of no effect. So they're angry at Jesus and his disciples as they're plucking grain there in the fields on the Sabbath day and as the religious leaders watching them saying what your disciples are doing, it's unlawful. They're working on the Sabbath day because they're threshing wheat because they're rubbing grain in their hands. And of course, Jesus would rebuke them and said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man so man can have a day be refreshed and renewed in the Lord. But because of all your rules and regulations that you come up with, and they did, they took that one law that there shall be no work on the Sabbath day that we're going to see here, again, told to them in chapter 5, that they would make all these different rules about what you could do and what you couldn't do, what was lawful, and you had to keep the Sabbath perfectly. And, And that was a real burden to the people. So instead of a day being refresh and renewed in the Lord, it became a big burden to the people because of the Pharisees. 
they would, the Pharisees, rebuke Jesus and his disciples because they didn't wash properly according to the tradition of the elders before they ate. And so it would be Jesus that said, you know what, you guys have made a law of God of no effect. So it was the Pharisees that had come along and said that, and accused Jesus of trying to abolish the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to remove the law or abolish the law or to change the law. I came to fulfill it. But you guys are adding to it. And again, making the law of God of no effect. You know, the same thing can happen today. The same thing can happen as, as we look at the Word of God, that there are those who will add to it. And there are those who will come up with their rules and their regulations and all of this that really put people into bondage. So we need to be careful that as we go through God's Word that we understand it, that we make proper application, interpretation of what God is saying, not to add to it, not to put burdens on the people. And then we're not to take away from it either. But to carefully know what God's word has to say for you and for me today. And so here was Moses, that he was going to give them the the commands and the word. You are to keep it. And then verse 3, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among all you all, the men who followed Baal at Peor. And again, so he's reiterating what happened in Numbers chapter 25, right? When those um, Midianite women came down with the little idols and seduced the men of Israel in the camp, introduced idol worship, sexual immorality. There's a plague that came through the camp as God judged them, 24,000 were dead. You know what happened just a short time ago with the Midianite women. And you guys didn't get involved with that, and you live now. You live. You're alive today, every one of you. Can I just say this? To really live, to really experience life the way that God wants us to, to really enjoy life, to have the the joy of the Lord, to experience real fulfillment and purpose and satisfaction in that abundant life that God has for us, you want to live? Then follow after the Lord. It's a simple message. Walk in His ways. And the sooner that we get that in our hearts and, and we say, Lord, yes, I understand a message from Genesis to Revelation to really experience life to its fullness and what you have in, in your blessing to really live and have that peace and have that joy and to, to really draw close to you is knowing you and loving you and walking in your ways. So you guys know, he says to them, you know how you guys didn't get caught up in that and here you are and, and you have lived because of it. Verse 4, but you've held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that such statutes and righteous judgments 
as are in all this law which I set before you this day. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren, especially concerning the day that you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, and the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. So what he's saying to them is, you guys, take heed to yourselves. And you're to be a witness and a light to the other nations. And he's going to continue to, to talk about that, that they may see and understand as they see me blessing you, and you have wisdom, and how you're blessed, and how you're healthy, and how you're doing well that you will be a light to the other nations. And the people will say, they have God because you are walking in my ways. But what ended up happening in their history, of course, as you see in the days of the judges and then after the reign of Solomon when Rehoboam, his son, would um, take over and then the nation would split, house of Israel, house of Judah, is they once again walked in disobedience, and it was the nations that ended up shaking their heads as they went off into captivity. Just look what's happened to them. They weren't a light. They weren't a witness. And so you and I, I really believe to a lot of the people, if not most of them, that are linked to us in our lives, whether it's in that workplace or in the neighborhood or in the classroom, or whatever it might be, we begin to be a witness as they look at our lives and they see the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge of God being worked out in our lives. In other words, that we're walking with the Lord and they look at us and say, you know what, there's something different about them. And they begin to understand and begin to think, is God really with them? They say they're a Christian. And I can see that there's a difference in their life, and I can see they're doing well. You see, as a nation, they were to be that way. As a congregation, Calvary Chapel here were to be that way to this city that needs Christians to be a light and individually where God has placed us. But if you're not walking after the Lord and it's not showing in your life, you can speak words and people are going to say, this is a joke. And I've had people sit in my office saying, why should I be a Christian? The only Christians that I've known, they party with us and, and all of this and drink and get drunk and take drugs and all of this. There's no difference. Why should I come to God? And it doesn't mean that Christians don't struggle with things and we fall short, I understand. But my prayer is, Lord, I want to be a light. And I want people to see that as I walk in your ways, that I have your wisdom being worked out in my life, that they be attracted to that somehow, that it draws them to you, not to me, but to you, Lord. And say, I want that. And so as you are ones walking in wisdom and understanding, you're going to be light as the people see it. Say, God is with you guys. And then what you are to do is teach this to your children, as we see here in verse 9. Teach them to your children, to your grandchildren. Again, we see in verse 10 that you may teach them to your children. And we're going to see this repeated over and over again here in this book. You teach them to your children. Teach them to your children. 
Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Don't forget what I have done for you. Don't forget that I brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget that, that my power and what I have done for you and provision for you. Don't forget the statutes and the laws that I've given to you, the promises I've given to you. Teach them to your children. And parents and grandparents, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of our responsibilities, moms and dads, grandmas and granddads, uncles, aunts, whoever, but particularly parents and grandparents, we have opportunity and we also have the command to teach the things of God to our children. And I think we've kind of lost that in the church a lot. Because the mentality can be, I will take them to church and I will drop them off at youth group. I will drop them off in children's ministry. And I'm going to let the children's ministry teacher or the youth teacher or whoever it is teach them the things about God in the Bible. We will do that. And we want to do that. And sometimes there are kids that come here, their parents aren't Christians. And we are the primary ones that are teaching them the Word of God. But do not forget the command that's told to us. And Paul would say it in Ephesians chapter 6, particularly you fathers, that you are to raise your children in the admonition and the training of the Lord. You are to teach them. And we're going to see in Deuteronomy chapter 6 here a powerful, powerful thing. You're to teach your children diligently when they're standing up, when they go to bed, when they're walking. Throughout the day, you teach them the Word of God. And we don't ever want to get into that mindset, well, I'm going to leave that to the Sunday school teacher or the youth pastor or me. We will come along and we will be ones that we will give them the Word of God in truth. We will pray for them. We will help you in any way. But don't leave it just for others to do. You are the primary one that is called to do that to your children. So you be teaching them the things of God. You be praying with them. You be having Bible study, devotions with them. And especially in the day in which we're living. Because if they are not learning the Word of God, they're going to get fooled and they're going to get tricked and they're going to end up receiving a whole lot of other things that are not godly instruction. Because it's all around us in the world. And so we need to be ones that, as parents, I pray that even tonight, as we go to the Lord, that I want to teach my children these things that is the word of God and the truth of God, the goodness of God to my children and be dedicated to that. Lord, help me to do that. That I need to be committed to that. And grandparents, you can do that with your grandchildren as well. And I pray that we would take that exhortation and what we're being told here and instruction and command that's throughout the scriptures to our children. You know what? This generation here, Deuteronomy, they're going to go into the promised land, they're going to take the promised land and it's going to be their children that are going to forget about the law of God. And that's where you start the book of Judges. I don't know what happened. If they forgot this command, if they didn't take seriously that they were to be ones teaching their children. And so this will be, again, emphasized in this book, and it will be emphasized by me as a reminder to me as a dad and to encourage you and to just simply share with your kids and your grandkids the truth of God's word 
and to do it constantly and consistently and daily and to take that very seriously. Don't just leave it up to others. And what a blessing to have others that are godly influence to our children, whether they're teachers or coaches or whoever they might be. I'm very thankful for them. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm very, very thankful for godly teachers that we have. And we have some that go to this fellowship. And what a blessing they are to be a light. But parents, don't forget that you have a responsibility. And I think that Mike Riddle kind of hit on it a little bit as he gave the statistics. There's a book already gone by Ken Ham that's in the bookstore. I saw it just last week. I don't know if it's still there. And we'll order some more as we have that. All the statistics about how our children are no longer going to church. 80 to 90% of kids coming out of high school no longer go to church. They say it's a lost generation. But I do know God always has his remnant. And God will be faithful. And I pray for the kids here. And, And guys, we're going in here in just a minute. And that's why I always... Pray that there be those that will come along and help with the children and minister to the children. You know, we have opportunity a week from Sunday to minister to the kids at the fall festival, for them to invite their friends and for them to what? See that God is good and real in our lives, right? For the teachers to share with them the gospel and hopefully have their parents come and hear the word of God here in the sanctuary. And, and I pray that we would be excited about that. That we wouldn't just say, oh yeah, this is the, the Broncos are on. I don't want to interfere with my football watching. And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not being critical. If you want to watch football, go watch football. But at least pray for us. <laughs> pray for the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Broncos. They just frustrate me. So, where was I? I got all distracted with the Broncos. You guys, pray for the kids. You know, really do. They, they go through a lot. You know, us in this room that are a little bit older, we can remember what it was like 20, 30, 40 years ago growing up. It's a lot tougher these days. And I really believe there's going to be all-out war on Christians in this nation before too long. And I'm talking about just for us to be able to stand on the truth of God's Word and be able to defend it, it's going to be more difficult and harder. And how much more that we need to make sure that we talk to our children about that. And how they can be a witness with their lives. And how they can share with friends. How they can share with others. And you see this as we talk about battle and warfare. Our weapon is love and truth, isn't it? It's love and truth. See, folks, there's two things that the world won't give those kids. Love and truth. But we can't. And the junior high kids and the high school kids as well. My heart really aches for our children. And I pray that we would say together as a congregation 
that, you know what, as a congregation, we're going to teach our children diligently. And that's why we do some of the things that we do, that while we have them here, let's teach them. We had a bunch of kids graduate from high school last May. We got a bunch that are going to graduate this May from high school, my daughter being one of them. One of the things that I always do at that time of graduation is I always go to the Lord and say, Lord, did we do everything that we could as you helped us and by your grace to get them grounded in God's word? Because as a pastor, I am going to give an account for that. So let's teach them. Let's pray for them. Let's have the high schoolers in on Sunday. They're old enough to go through the scriptures just like we were going through And let's pray for the little ones. And I am so thankful for those who have been so committed to teaching our children. You can hear one in the back there. Just He's praising God or she. (laughs) They need our prayers. And I pray that we would never come in and say, oh, you know, they're over there in the corners. But Lord, please touch their hearts and their lives. From the smallest in the nursery up to the high schoolers. And Lord, me as a parent, help me to teach my children. Help me to pray with them and for them. We cannot get into the mindset. We cannot get into the mindset of, I don't have time. can't say that in this day. Well, I hope they do okay. You better do more than hope. You better get out your sword and you better start fighting. The sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. And through prayer and commitment and sharing with them and learning to say no. And they'll fuss and they'll holler and they'll scream and but everybody else is doing it. We've all heard that, haven't we? And I say, Barbara, Luke, Rachel, 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 (laughs) David, listen. I don't have to answer to everybody else. But I am responsible for you. And so this is why I'm saying no. And, And to pray with them and to talk to them about those things. And you know what? The battles aren't there all the time. And I love you, Barbara and Luke and Rachel and David, and I don't want you to get hurt, and this is why, and and to take them to the pages of Scripture, but they need that. They need that time. And they need to understand that we love them so much, and it's a Heavenly Father that loves them, that we're going to say no, or you can't go there, or whatever it may be. And I know it's not always easy, is it, on this side, being a parent? (laughs) But there are so many things out there that are such a distraction to them and to us and pulls them away and waits, you know, and all these other things that it's unreal and it's going to get worse, I think. Make sure you're giving them the Word of God, okay? Let's make sure that we're committed to our children here, the Word of God. And not everybody's called to work with children. I understand that. I accept that. But pray for them. Pray for the parents. Pray for the families here. 
I really hope that we're a congregation that we are committed to praying, praying for one another, praying for families. We need that. Guys, I hear the stories. And it's hard. And I know what Satan is doing to our families and to the families in this community and to our youth and to our kids. And I hate it. I hate it. To where there are nights I don't sleep. But I can pray. And I know that God has given me four very precious children that I have a responsibility to teach them. And I get busy. But I cannot go to them and say, I got time to teach the congregation, but I don't have time to teach you. And I don't have time to spend with you. But I will make it a priority in my life with God's help. And I pray that all of us would do that. That our families, that is our first ministry. Husbands, your ministry to your wife is your first ministry. That includes me, that includes you, and to our children. Then come here and minister, okay? And I tell people that. You can't minister here if things aren't right at home. So we want to be praying, teaching our children, take it very seriously, pray for the kids here, and let's do that tonight. We're, we're not going to worship. We're just going to pray, okay? I just feel like that's what the Lord wants us to do. And to remember to do that as a congregation, to pray, to pray, to pray. And you know what? You know what my prayer is? You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that the Lord would do such a work in this congregation that there would be a waiting list for people to help out with the children. I'm serious. I've known a few churches that it was that way. There was actual waiting list for people to come and minister to the children and in the nursery. Now, 98% of churches, if you ask them what the greatest need is, they will say nursery and children's ministry. But there have been a few churches, a few pastors that I've talked to, they understand, they got it. How much of a priority. And they rotate the people where they have opportunity to do one or two times a, a month, but they got a waiting list. I mean, a waiting list. And then in the summertime, those who have been teaching, you know, they, they get those, hey, can you fill in for the summer? We got people that just love to be able to spend time with because they, they understand. This is our future generation. I'm not going to be able to be up here and teach forever. I plan on teaching here till I fall off this stool. Joshua, at the end of his life, he said to this generation, at the end of the book of Joshua, he says, you guys choose who you're going to serve this day, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
I pray for as far as us and this house. We choose this night that we're going to serve the Lord. And so, Father, that's what our prayer is. That we would serve you. That, Lord, you have a word for us tonight, I believe. And that is that we desire, first of all, to take heed to ourselves. That we would learn as we come here and learn of your ways, as we have our own devotions, that we would place it in our hearts. And then, Lord, we would teach it to our children or whoever it is that we have opportunity to minister to. Father, I pray that we would be ones. I, I pray, first of all, for the moms and the dads that are here, that you would give them the strength and the direction and the courage to raise their children in your ways. That it's a command that we wouldn't forget or just push aside. But Lord, I want to take this very seriously. Help me. Work out these things in my own life, Lord, that they can see how good that you are as they see the blessing of you in my life. And they would want that and desire that. And Father, I know that there's so many things of the world that pull on us and our children as well. And, and Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength again to take on the responsibility of raising our children in the admonition and the training of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would be one that would stir our hearts as we have so many precious little ones that are here. We hear their laughter in the back. I am so thankful for those who have been committed throughout the years teaching them and being patient and loving those children and with the youth. And Father, I pray that we would be a congregation, that we would see it as a joy and an opportunity to share with these little ones because they're the future of the church. And we hear so much, we read the statistics how our young people are leaving the church, but Lord, we know that you have your remnant, and Lord, I pray that every single one of them here would be precious to where we would invest in them and we would exhort them and we would love them and give them truth. Lord, we pray for them that are struggling and get pulled in different directions or perhaps get made fun of or whatever it might be that they're going through, that, Lord, that you would keep them strong in you. And, Father, that they would know that we here in this sanctuary, we care about them, and that would be an encouragement to them. That you would just provide for those that come along and teach the kids and help share the scriptures and take time for them and invest in them. Those who you call and put on their hearts and desire to be used in that way. Father, I pray as a congregation that we would just be a light, a true light in this community. That we would be a witness. As people come in, they would see the love of Christ and the truth of God's word being taught. And that this would be a place where people are hurting 
and confused can come and learn of you and your love. And Father, I pray that the things that we have coming up again is we have a group of people going out, just a labor of love and cutting wood. To Lord, ministering to the kids in a week and a half in the fall festival. To every Sunday and every Wednesday night, ministering to the children and to the youth, Lord, that you would help us to do it in such a way it pleases you. Father, I thank you for this congregation. And I thank you for this church family. Father, I pray you take us all home safely tonight. And Lord, that we would just, again, allow you to search our hearts. And Lord, draw us close to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.